0: Hello, and welcome to The Canadian Story, where we discuss what Canada is, what Canada could be, and what Canada should be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Canadian Story. I'm here with Kate. Uh, Kate, tell us a little bit about yourself. 30 seconds. What are you all about?
1: Oh my gosh. How do you summarize a person in 30 seconds? <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, you can't, but thankfully we have 45 minutes.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, um, I'm happy to be here first of all. So thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's a really cool concept that you've got going on here. I've listened to a number of episodes now and, and really like the flavor of the whole thing. So so thank you for having me. Um, yeah. My name is Kate. I'm a functional nutritionist. I have a very varied background. Um, I actually left a career after 15 years, went back to school as an adult, as a single mom, and uh, started over. And that was because I didn't follow my passion and the thing that really made me tick from the first place. I thought, uh, you know, I wanted to do something quote unquote cool when I was younger. So I went to work in television and film Mm -hmm and uh you know that was really great while it lasted but it didn't fulfill me and i had a long history with autoimmune disease growing up when i was five i was diagnosed with my first autoimmune disease and the second one kind of piggyback piggyback that one shortly thereafter and i spent most of my life chasing the reasons why that happened, how to feel better, because I was constantly sick. I was constantly in pain. I was constantly having flare-ups. And uh, I made it all the way into my 30s without really getting the answers that I was looking for, without getting the help that I needed. And uh, I came into sort of the worst flare or the worst experience within that um, part of my life that led me down a path where I was like, I can't uh, let this continue on anymore. I can't live this way, and so I became relentless in my pursuit to figure out a solution, and I found one. Uh, yeah, that was within uh, the world of uh, of nutrition. You know, I thought that I had been doing everything right. I was vegan for ten years. I, you know, always lived a fairly healthy life um, as an adult. As a child, it was a very standard American or standard Canadian way of life, which we know now is definitely not conducive to good health, but. Um, Yeah. So when I was able to put both of my autoimmune conditions into remission, I decided that I had to be, I had to find a way where I could bring that information to other people that had been in the same position as me looking for answers for decades and decades, um, and help people heal and find a path to, um, robust, vibrant health. And so for the last handful of years. I've been in clinical practice. I own my own private practice and help people all across the world with a whole array of different things, but most uh, specifically autoimmune disease.
0: And and I just, I, there's a couple of things I love about this, but you and I have talked about this privately as Peter Thiel has basically said, you know, this is an area that is not well-serviced. And here you are. It's it's funny to me. I just read Zero to One. I, I think I read it uh, like last fall. And I remember reading that. And why it stuck out to me, another big reason I wanted to have you on the podcast is unfortunately, she's dead now. But my Aunt Barb, my, my mom's sister, was also very into these things. But what she never had was access to the level of information that we do now. And when I watch what you know, because you're you've what you've learned it just reminds me so much of her and her passion for health and nutrition but but you have so many more tools and therefore are so much more knowledgeable on it so uh, I, I definitely want to talk about that but it's just fascinating to me what this area this what arguably is the most important thing in human life mm-hmm. which is what we feed ourselves literally the fuel we use to continue existing is one of the most neglected areas.
1: Um, well, I, I'm going to say that I don't fully agree with that statement. Uh, okay. I don't okay. think that it's neglected across the boards. I think um, conventional medicine. Uh, yeah, maybe that's touch more what I mean. Enough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. That's, that's very fair and very valid. So, you know, uh, a med school students spends, you know, maybe three to six hours talking about nutrition, uh, in their entire duration of medical school. Um, that is just simply not enough and they never touch on it again. So, uh, and it's not, it's not because there isn't a place for it or that they don't think it's valuable. There's just, you know, only so many hours in the day and so many days in the year and med school is already incredibly intensive, but, I think what the problem is is they've been coming at it from the wrong angle for too long and it just takes so much time and so much money to change the way that that education model or the um uh you know the the way that a doctor goes through med school and obtains a uh, a doctor's degree they they would have to spend countless billions of dollars to recreate that wheel and so it's just not been part of the um, conventional medicine narrative because it it simply hasn't had the time in the spotlight. But that is changing. Um, you know, there are people that are, you know dietitians, nutritionists, functional doctors, functional nutritionists. The list goes on that really do specialize in that and are working now in tandem with conventional medicine, Western medicine or allopathic medicine, whatever you want to call it. Because there is um, still absolutely a place for that um, within our healthcare system. We need both. Um, so that marriage of the two worlds is, is really important. And I'm seeing more and more and more of that now, which is really, really great.
0: Yeah. I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on the difference between preventative health and reactionary health, right? Because basically, from what I could tell, our Western system is based on there's a problem, fix it. But it's not yes. how do we avoid problems.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and that's a really good point. You know, many um, you know, many health conditions are subclinical. Like they're not able to diagnose them in a doctor's office because they aren't bad enough yet. And so they can't. Um, Prescribe to treat it because they haven't gotten bad enough. So, we see that a lot with like thyroid issues. We see that a lot with pre diabetics. We see that a lot in, um, you know, obesity and cardiovascular disease. Like, we can clearly see the trajectory, but unless you get to the disease state where it becomes pathogenic, a doctor can't treat you. And they're not equipped really to give you the tools to reverse engineer that situation. Some, I think, take the extra time to learn what those tools are. Uh, And some doctors are going back to school to do the functional medicine part of it as well and become functional medicine doctors to really round out that picture. And they really do have the tools. Um, So it's, it's really about trying to figure out, like you said, how do we create that preventative model now, the only problem there is there isn't a great deal of money to be made in the preventative model. Although right. I think there can right. be, I think we just need to change the way we think about things so that it can still be, um, a business that, you know, people that work within that space, there are billions of people on this planet and millions of people within Canada that need that help. So there is still revenue to be had there, but certainly pharmaceutical companies, um, uh, medical equipment companies, things like that. It would be a huge, uh, you know, a huge decrease of revenue for them if we really did push this preventative model. It would literally change. It would change industry so much. Um, which needs to happen, but I think it's going to be challenging to 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 do that because of the loss of, of revenue. And I'm talking billions and billions and billions of dollars. And people don't like to give up that kind of money very no, easily.
0: No, no, the status quo likes to keep things as the status quo because the people who are benefiting from the status quo like to keep benefiting, right?
1: Yeah, well, I think we're torn. I think there's like a good segment of people that do and a good segment of people that don't. It's a really interesting time because I think... Uh, the proof is definitely in the pudding. We know exactly what we need to do. Really, we kind of even know how we need to do it. It's just about persuading all of the, um, like, changing policy and changing um, big industry and, uh, you know, the way that uh, society has become comfortable with things um, in order to adopt all of that and make it work. And I think we're kind of at a crossroads where it's going to have to happen and it will happen. And that really excites me. And I think that it will be incredibly beautiful to watch how that unfolds because for sure this past year um, with COVID, I think we've learned a lot about how important preventative health is, not just in relation to chronic disease, but even in relation to these acute Uh, pathogens that we encounter that are either novel or not. And how important it is to have underlying good health in order to keep our society running effectively, because we can't continue to lock things down. It is
0: not sustainable. And if we had a healthy
1: population, we wouldn't need to do that.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Okay. So what if you, let's go with like the top three things that if, if you, you know, if, if we put you in charge of everything, what are the three things you would change first?
1: Man, you're not the first person to ask me that question, and I kind of ask myself that question all the time. And really, it depends on the day. I always sort of have a slightly different answer because... There's so many more than three things that need to happen, but one, I would absolutely change food policy. So I would make it, um, I would make a number of things that exist within our food supply illegal. I would actually take them right off of the list. I would have them banned from the human food supply. So that's like things like, um, industrial seed oils, um, highly refined and processed corn derivatives, like high fructose corn syrup, Uh, food coloring and preservatives, additives, and things like that, and then tax the heck out of um, processed and refined fast food chains. Um, And they're changing their tune anyways, even places like McDonald's and a&W are understanding that the consumer want a different product, and so they they will literally bend over backwards to keep making money. So they'll do whatever we ask yeah, them to true, true. in order. Yeah, true,
0: <laughs> Yeah, whether
1: it's regenerative agriculture, whether it's a healthier product, like, we as consumers have so much power and so much control. We just have to use the um the dollars that we have to to vote and to change the way things are. So uh, just even you know, if I was in control that we don't even need to even go there, like we're all in control. Right, we can all have right. to change the story every that. single day. Okay, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Like, so
0: so you would outlaw these things, but what what would you like? What's the information? If there's just one piece of information, right? Uh, you have you're a wealth of information. You study this. You know it like you know it inside and out. But like, what's the number one thing that you feel if if it shifted in people's minds, it would transform how they treat their own bodies and therefore you know their own health.
1: That's a great question. So I think if we boiled it right down, like to um, a direction, sort of like here's a piece of information that if you implement, you're going to make a significant. Um, change in your life. If it's going to be like something that simple, I would just say, eat real food. And that would kind of break down into eat what you eat, what rots and don't eat anything that you don't know where it comes from. So if you see an ingredient on a package and you can't quickly summarize how it got into that state. So for example, if you see artificial flavors on a package, if you can tell me what's in that artificial flavors umbrella and you know exactly the um, processing and manufacturing that went into that specific ingredient, sure, you can eat it if you want to. But right, if you can't right, actually… Right. <laughs> if you can't even <laughs> if tell you, me you, what you're eating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you don't know that chain of, of action, then I wouldn't put it in my body. So I think if we just boiled it down to that very basic um, sort of thought process. Like you see a carrot on an ingredients list. You're like, yeah, I know where a carrot comes from. I know what (laughs) it looks like. I know what it looks like before it's even been chopped up. I know actually I could probably grow it in my backyard and harvest it myself. I can eat that same with, you know, um, meat or eggs or other vegetables and fruits, even things like honey or maple syrup. Like we know exactly where those things come from, but we don't know where mold inhibitors come from, or we maybe don't know where, what guar gum is or, yeah. uh, what carrageenan yeah, I didn't know any is of those or things. what, what is, what is the canola? <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. I know that. I, I it, um, grow, yeah. it grows, it so grows in fields around my like, home.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. So I think if people started thinking about things like just a little bit more simply, if we just kind of went back to what did our like great, great, great grandparents eat, then we'd be in a much better place. Now, obviously, there's much more to the conversation than that. Um, You know, the importance of fresh air and sunlight and movement and de-stressing and sleep and relationship and community. Like, All of those things have a massive piece of of the puzzle, massive piece of the pie. And we can't obtain full vitality and full health without at least trying to balance that whole wheel, Um, you know, kind of making sure we check all the boxes. But nutrition for sure is going to be the biggest component to that because when we eat really well, we are more motivated to make sure that the rest of that pie is. Uh, you know, complete. And we would, we have less stress. We feel better. We have more energy. We sleep better. We want to be around people because we feel good. We're not as anxious. We're not as depressed. So when we dial in that nutrition piece and it doesn't need to be complicated, you don't need to pick up a specific diet. You just need to eat real food. Yeah. Then everything else yeah, it becomes much more simple and feels much more um, desirable, and you you want to do better because you you see how much better you feel just by changing that one thing, and you start to realize, wow, if I change, if I dip my toes in the sleep pool and kind of, you know, right, optimize right. that area of my life a <laughs> bit more Then, <laughs> how, like, yeah. I, you can what, st- eventually what, what, become like superhuman.
0: Yeah. What's possible. Oh, I love that. And actually, I want to hear how your journey went. Cause you're like, I was a vegan for 10 years. So you always cared about these things, but what did you notice mm. changed? Like, why did you change your mind on that? That's a pretty big thing to change your mind on, right?
1: Yeah. And thanks for asking that question because I think there are a lot of people out there that um go plant based or go vegan or even just go vegetarian because of a lot of myth um, right. Because they get gaslighted or because they feel like they have to do something um, in order to, you know feel good about themselves. like oh, well, if I give up eating meat, like that makes me a good person. right. Um, like I think there's a lot of that going on right now, and right. I really hope that changes because I think it's super harmful. Yeah um, yeah, I, I agree. Initially became vegan because I thought it was cool like I'm going to be completely honest with that. It was, you know, I was in my late teens and I was in the punk rock scene and I, you know, everyone was kind of doing that sort of thing. Then we were rebellious. We were going against the grain. We didn't want to be be a part of the status quo. And, um, you know, we, we, we're sort of like social justice warriors of our time. <laughs> right, um, right, right,
0: right. <laughs> you know, with
1: shaved heads and spikes yep, on our boots. Yep, right, but like, right. you know, still. <laughs> oh, I, I,
0: was, I was into punk music growing up for sure. I, I, I get it. Oh, it yeah. Be- so, you
1: know, you <laughs> Well, know.
0: Zach, Zach yeah, was so in a punk band. so that's kind of where it all started.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah oh, yeah. yeah, that's right. I think you did mention that. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so um, that's kind of where it all began. And then, you know, you read all the the vegan propaganda and you drink the proverbial Kool-Aid, and then you become identified with a movement, and it becomes really challenging to detach yourself because you've integrated yourself into that way of life so deeply. And for me, even though I was not a nutritionist at the time, I actually did have a health blog in my sort of mid to late 20s, uh, which was – I don't want to date myself, but well over a decade now. <laughs> right, And right, so right. blogs blogs at the time were not like they are now. And so uh, I my blog was actually really, really popular because there wasn't a lot of vegan food blogs, especially sort of geared towards family um, life. And so I also had this like huge like looming shadow over me that was like well if you start eating animal products again you are going to alienate a fan base right alienate all the people that you've persuaded to give up these things um and so it became like soul crushing because you're just like oh my gosh i've really done the wrong thing here without ever wanting to have no you know you're trying to do the right thing anyway yeah yeah exactly and so that leads me me to a really important thing to remind people is that the information is always changing. You are always changing. Um, uh, you know, one quote that I love is like, when you know better, you do better. And I think it's really important to sort of always remind yourself of that, that you can change your mind about something based on new information at any moment. And it is Okay, it's one hundred percent okay to change your mind and change your opinion and change the path.
0: Yes, yes, that's yeah, yeah. like yeah, and 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 I I think about this a lot too. Like I'll I'll use myself as an example. Like growing up, I I was very anti-Muslim, right? It was just because of Ah, what happened in nine eleven. Brave of you to admit. (laughs) Yeah, it was what happened in nine eleven. I was raised evangelical Christian, so like I'm in this situation right where. I have this bad belief, but I, but it's for the right reasons, right? It's because I love my people, right? And I feel like my people are being attacked. And I think I just, it's so comparable to what you said, right? You're trying to do the right thing, right? You're, you're trying to teach people how to live their lives better. You see this veganism as the right thing. And there's lots of really moral and good things about veganism. But then mm-hmm. you realize that you, then you realize you were wrong, and what in our modern world, if you were wrong about something in the past, people will attack you for it, even if you change your mind. And that's the worst way to live, because if we're, oh, if we're f-
1: it is so harmful, and we're still doing that. Actually, we're. I think we might even be doing it more now I think we're doing than it worse. ever. Yeah, I think we're
0: doing it worse. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I really don't – I cannot think of anything more isolating, more harmful, more destructive, and more dangerous than treating people that way and um, being so rigid in our beliefs because – None
0: of us know anything. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> like the, no. Right? Exactly. None of
1: us know a damn
0: thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like that, that song, right? Uh, uh, the only thing I know is that I don't know a damn, damn thing at all, right? It's, or, or it goes to like Socrates, right? You know, the beginning of wisdom is to know you know nothing. And yet I think, well, this is my philosophy. and I'd like, love to hear your thoughts on it. My, my thinking on it is the goal should not be to be right. It should be to be less wrong, right? Because we have so many wrong beliefs, so many, so many thoughts that are just not <laughs> correct, right? And most of our life is just figuring out where we were wrong.
1: Yeah. And I also just think that there isn't like one reality. <laughs> There's like right, multiple right, true, realities. True. Um, you know, yeah. So like one person, one person's reality, one person's idea of what is right might be right for them. Um, and it, it doesn't have to be right for everyone else. Um, you know, so long as it's not harmful or hurtful, um, then that that's okay. But yeah, I think, um, I think it's very, I think it's, you know, there's nothing is black and white. I think there's like a whole range of gray in between black and white on every single topic. And I think it's a beautiful quality to have, to be able to exist in the shades of gray and work in the shades of gray and think about things in the shades of gray because the black and white, they'll always exist, but they're the polar ends of every concept. And I don't think that existing where in the polarities is ever a very productive or positive place to be.
0: I love that. So so what how would you say so how did you I, I want to know the rest of the story. How did you go from having this this popular blog where you're basically talking about veganism to saying, you know what, I'm not a vegan anymore? Like talk talk about this this period of your life. Like that is a very brave thing you did. A lot most people would just be like, well, I'll just keep being vegan because it's not worth the backlash I'll probably receive.
1: Yeah, sure. So I guess it all kind of started when I I knew I was, you know, it started like slow. It was an insidious thing, right? You know, usually people, they change their diet. They go plant-based or vegan. They feel really, really great. Sometimes, not all the time. Sometimes people feel like crap right away, but sometimes people feel amazing for sort of two years. It's kind of like the honeymoon phase. You feel really good. You're eating less junk. You're you're not able to kind of get your hands on as many processed foods, or at least uh, at that point in time, that was about 15 years ago, there was no processed and refined vegan food. Like couldn't go and get an impossible burger. Or you couldn't go to any fast food chain or even Starbucks or any of those places and get a vegan option. So you just weren't eating that stuff. And so it was really good, easy to feel really good. But, um, we also didn't know nearly as much about how important, um, you know, adequate B12 was and how difficult it was, especially for females to get enough iron, um, unless they were supplementing. And even then 15 years ago, supplementation just wasn't the same as what it is now. It was just less, um, uh, you know, less attainable.
0: Right. So, um, yeah.
1: yeah. So basically, you know, it took me years in order to start to feel lousy again. I was a really good vegan. (laughs) (laughs) I ate very well. (laughs) I ate whole foods. I made sure to, uh, make sure that I was like food combining properly. So I was getting lots of different amino acids and lots of protein and all of those sorts of things. You know, I didn't eat pop or sugar or junk food. So, you know, I was, I was still very healthy. Um, but I became anemic. I became B12 deficient. I fell into a very scary, dark depression that was not circumstantial. It was not something like I I wasn't having, yeah, there were, you know, life is challenging sometimes for everybody, but it wasn't like there was something going on that made me feel depressed. I just would wake up every day in this massive funk. I was really uninspired by life. I was a new mom, like not brand new. It wasn't postpartum. I was, you know, he, my son was probably around two at the time, I would say, where I started to kind of feel this way. I was chronically exhausted. I remember uh, being in a spin class and literally felt falling asleep Mid spin class no on my bike, no
0: way, with the no Loudest way. music
1: jamming in my ears <laughs> in the background, and I was like, "Yeah, I was just nodding off, like as if I was it was nighttime and I it was I was in my bed. I was just so 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 anemic. And um, actually, around that time, my my brother had been diagnosed with stage four esophageal cancer and oh liver no. cancer. Oh no, yeah, yeah. So um, it was interesting because. I was kind of going through this anemia and he was going through all of his like cancer blood work and his hemoglobin was, you know, non-existent because he was, you know, in sort of the final throes. It was caught really late. But what was pretty terrifying is that my hemoglobin was actually even lower.
0: Whoa. And um oh, no.
1: Yeah. So I had a hemoglobin of two and that is dangerously, dangerously low. Um, and, it was no surprise at all that I was feeling that way. But I was so, like I had mentioned before, I was so attached to my identity. I was so deeply um, rooted in that movement that I was not willing to admit that it was because of my diet that I was experiencing all of this. So I was a runner. I was really, I was really like, basically an athlete because I was in a, an elite athlete, um, exercise program at the time, even though I'm not a trained athlete, like I was living that way. I was running a marathon that summer. Um, and so I decided it was the exercise that was doing that to me because I had read somewhere that, you know, uh, oftentimes marathon runners like, um, use up all of their iron stores because they're, running. So their feet are like their blood vessels are bursting in their feet all the time. Like, which is true. There's some truth to that, but it's kind of crazy that I wasn't like, maybe it's just because you haven't eaten meat in many many years. Like I was not willing to look at it like that. (laughs) No. So a whole other year of that torture and suffering went by before I finally was like this is crazy. Like I have got to start to do something. Like I'm going to introduce eggs at the very least or fish. And so I slowly started to like allow for these things to come back in my diet. And I did it like in the closet. I was totally a closet case. I went to the grocery store. I hid my eggs under all of my vegetables and fruits. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And, um, same when I started to introduce fish, I would go, I like my son and I would go for sushi dates and we would drive to a different town so that I would make sure I didn't run into anyone I knew so much effort just to hide it. And I was feeling marginally better, but I was still primarily plant-based. I was still eating, uh, lot of legumes and grains and nuts and seeds, which now I know are just about the worst things that someone with autoimmunity could be fueling themselves with because there's so many different plant compounds and chemicals and immunological effects that those foods have on the body. So if you're already hyper immune state, which is what autoimmune people experience day to day, they are like your kryptonite. And so I kind of stumbled into a specific uh, protocol called autoimmune paleo. And I stumbled into this when I was finding myself in a merge on the regular because my flare-ups with one of my autoimmune conditions were getting so bad and debilitating that I was literally unable to wear clothes. So one of my autoimmune conditions no. is called gutate psoriasis. It isn't, uh, the sort of standard plaque psoriasis that a lot of people have. It's, um, an extremely painful form that, uh, doesn't really scale. It looks more like, um, like a red droplet, like a red droplet rash that goes all over your body. Oh, no. Um, and they turn into lesions and open sores. And I was just like literally every other month having a flare, a flare, a flare, a flare over and over. My body was just so inflamed. And it was really awful. Like, I mean, I can't often find the words to describe how that felt at that time. It was enough to make me feel like it really wasn't worth living. Um, wow. Going to emerge that frequently. No one could help me. No one could understand what was going on. Nothing that they prescribed worked. Uh, I, I, couldn't go to work. I didn't want to see people because I thought I was like, I looked hideous. You know, there was all of these things that starts that sort of played into it. That really, um, made, made the whole experience just so terrifying and so isolating and, and, and painful in the physical sense and the emotional sense. And it was at that time, like my lowest point where I was like, I have got to get serious and figure out what is going on here. Cause like at that point was, you know, maybe in my early thirties, sort of early to mid thirties. And, um, I was trying to imagine what's another 30 years like this. Right. Uh, And you're like, I don't want to live that. I don't want to live
0: that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I had a young son. um, So there was just so much, there was so much on the line. And um, so, yeah, I really went to explore that autoimmune paleo protocol. And as I was sort of like getting into it, I was like, wait a second here, autoimmune paleo restricts all of these immunogenic foods. So like I said, like nuts and seeds, grains, right, nightshade right. vegetables, what, everything right? you've been eating, everything that I had been eating, and it was then very focused on animal products. Uh, eggs and dairy were off limits, but you know, muscle meats, organ meats, um, and then lots of you know, fibrous veggies and low sugar fruits and things like that. Um, and so I, I went in. I went in all the way. I was like, okay, well. I feel like I'm dying. So I don't think that I need to hang my hat on this vegan thing anymore. Right. right. (laughs) I I I don't need this identity
0: (laughs) if it's going to end my life.
1: (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I took some photos of myself and that was sort of, um, I was like doing a self-experiment. I'm like, I'm going to photograph everything that's going on right now. And then I'm going to. Properly execute this plan, and then I'll, you know, document what happens if anything happens throughout. And it was quite honestly breathtaking and incredibly eye-opening. Within seven days, I had probably, oh, you know, maybe uh, sixty percent reversal of symptoms, and then fourteen days even more. And by thirty days, I was one hundred percent clear. Any and all spots, rash, um, lesions, everything had healed. My skin looked like everybody else's skin, and I had never experienced that in my entire life. And it was rapid and like just totally shocking. So those around me that actually witnessed that in real life were equally as amazed and equally as shocked. And I remember going back to my dermatologist and the team at McMaster University. Who were overseeing my case at the time, and it was there that I realized how broken our system was. Mm-hmm, because I mm-hmm. went in and told them what was going on, and they said, "Well, this is just a big coincidence."
0: Oh, and wow, tot- that must yeah, have infu- totally—I would, I would have been infuriated. I would have been like, oh. "I was <laughs>
1: infuriated, infuriated," because you basically just you. Totally took that away from me. Like yeah. they t- completely yeah. robbed me of my autonomy and completely robbed me of what I perceived to be self-power. And um, you know, m- my own discovery in a way, and my commitment and determination. Your work, your change. hard
0: work, and what had paid off, right? Your hard work had paid yeah. off and and not only that, being willing to like lay down your identity.
1: It was uh, a very eye-opening experience and and immediately I I thought to myself, well, this is just the way I'm going to live from now on. And I, you know, I I didn't, uh, nothing changed. I continued doing that for about two years straight. Uh, Since then, I have sort of loosened up on that a little bit and figured out, you know, what foods I can and can't have. And I have not had, I've been in remission ever since then. So we're coming up on at this point, it's probably getting close to yeah five years. So I've I've been five years without a flare. I had gutate psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis,
0: and nothing. Neither nothing of now. which have
1: no nothing. Absolutely nothing. Um, so it's safe to say that both of those are in full remission. And um, I went within months of that happening. I literally l- picked up and left my fifteen year career in television and film. Registered for nutrition school, moved to a house that was falling apart in the countryside so I could afford to keep my son and I under a roof so I could go back to school. Like I found the lowest possible income rental situation <laughs> that <I'd> find. <laughs> I find. I continued to work during school. I put everything on the line, I sacrificed absolutely everything. And I dove so deep into changing my career because I saw this massive gap in our healthcare system. Well, your, your like, life changed, this,
0: right? You, my life changed. And like, I, I it didn't wasn't want, hell I want it to be
1: able. Yeah. And I, I just think it's um criminal, criminal not to be able to offer that to as many people as possible. So now I get to work with people literally every single day from every country on the globe and um, help them to, learn how to take control of their own health, teach them the tools that got me to where I am. And, um, my, my goal is really to like put myself out of a job because I just want people to realize how much power they have. They, we really are amazing creatures and we are capable of so much and we're made to feel so damn good. And Anyone who doesn't, they just don't have the right tools. They, they're not aware of the right tools. And I think there isn't a single person on this planet that isn't capable of feeling incredible.
0: I want to go, I want to go into this. Like not only did you discover this truth for yourself, right? But you've decided that you want to share it. And can you speak a little bit to how sharing it has impacted, uh, like what is it like to be doing this now as your career?
1: It's amazing. Um, especially over this last year, while, I think there are a lot of people who feel like a lot of their work has been robbed of them and maybe things have, um, taken a turn for the worst career wise. I have been able to leverage my practice in a way that I wasn't able to do prior. I was in a clinical space before and, um, and that was wonderful, but, um, since opening up my own private virtual practice, I've been able to work with more people um, more broadly uh, from all over the world and connect with other like-minded clinicians. And I'm now involved in a startup in Sweden, uh, an app that's developing called Holo, and it is an autoimmune functional medicine app so that people can access this kind of work one, um, instead of one-on-one since it's quite expensive, uh, they can subscribe to an app that gives them basically everything they would get one-on-one with a little less customization, but the ability to access the same level of information and quality of information without paying the big bucks. Oh, I so, love
0: that. I love that. Yeah, and this is in yeah, Sweden. So-
1: It's based in Sweden. Um, The app is totally in Swedish right now, but we are translating it. (laughs) We are translating it and it will be um, coming into the Canadian and American market within the next year.
0: Oh, I love that. Uh, Yeah, just the the fact that you, and and I don't know if this is the case for you, but I've always found when someone feels their, or like finds their purpose, which it seems like you have, you found what you want to do for the rest of your life, which is help people. When you find that, can you speak a little bit to what it was like to find that and how it just transformed? Like you were saying that you didn't want to live anymore, right? Because it was so bad. And now, and then suddenly you found, you found a little changes. Like you said, you started to make these changes. Then they became very big changes. And now you seem so vibrant and full of life. Like, what is that? What was that transition like? And how did you, how did you process it on uh, on an internal mental level?
1: I think I still process it regularly. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because sometimes I do have these moments, like, of course, you still have everyone's gonna have bad days. No matter what you're doing. Right. So, like, it's not always like rainbows and unicorns over here, trust me. But (laughs) um, (laughs) but I'm so robust now that like on a bad day or a bad week, or even a bad month, like this past 12 months has been real rough. Like, even though career-wise things have been on the up and up for me um you know there's been a lot of other stuff in my personal life um and my you know like including family and uh, you know all sorts of other things like I've got a child that's going through this crazy time yeah um, so well. that has impacts on him yeah like there's a lot to consider that isn't always um positive or uh fun but I'm I'm robust now and so yeah I feel you're, you're, like resilient. I am able you're resilient you're to- resilient. Yes. And I think that you need to suffer a little bit. You can't be resilient if you've never faced something where resilience is needed to get through, you know, like you, you do have to experience a little bit of the, the, the shit, excuse my language to like get through to the other side and, and realize what you need, what you need to, to be able to withstand whatever dark days are there. Um, uh, but yeah, so like that transition, like you would ask, like your original question there was like, what did that feel like? It felt um, really shocking, to be honest with you. It was really jarring because you you end up feeling like you've been so misled by society or by the people that you've grown up to think that you should trust implicitly, like your doctors or the policymakers or any authority figure in your life, right? You, you s- assume that they have special powers that, where yeah. they know more yeah. than, than we, mm-hmm. the, than the plebes do. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: They're <laughs> the experts, you realize, right? They're that, the
1: like, experts. <laughs> yeah. Like they're just humans and we're all just the same. Like <laughs> yeah, the people yeah. that, you know, Trudeau and everyone else that's in p- government right now, or the people that, you know, decide, uh, how things are being handled uh, in the, the pandemic or the, the doctor that you see, your general practitioner, your family doctor, like they're just humans. Like they're just like we are and, and they're not perfect and they they make mistakes and they don't always get it right. And they're influenced by industry and they're influenced by money. And so are we. Yep, and yep. Every, you know we're all in the same boat just with different histories and different experiences and different lifestyles and things like that. And so Once that kind of unraveled, I realized that the only person that can ever be held responsible for how we get through this life or how we feel or, you know, how we overcome things is ourselves. It's just us. Yeah. Um,
0: Yeah. yeah. At the end of the day, it's only you, right? Like, this is what I tell people now. It's like, if you aren't going to love yourself as an individual, love yourself, right? No one else is going to. It's impossible you you won't even accept other people's love properly if you don't love yourself. And and that like I feel like that's what kind of happened. You're like, "Well, I love myself enough that I don't want to die. So I'll I'll burn everything else to the ground and restart."
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, interestingly like I I have always uh had a lot of love for myself. Like I have really great parents. I've come I come from a really good family, you know don't they know they're, they're not always perfect because nobody is, but like they did their absolute best and they definitely loved us all unconditionally. And, and so, uh, they taught, they taught love. Um, so that was modeled well for me. But, um, what I would say is that for the people that maybe don't, don't do that, like that don't love themselves or respect themselves, it might just be because you feel like crap because you're not yeah. feeding yourself properly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: it's it's it could be that simple,
1: right? It, and and yet it, it's it not simple. It,
0: it's so important. It's the foundation, it's the building block.
1: That's right. Yeah. So, you know, doing that 30-day trial of something that pushes your boundaries a little bit and, and you give up some of your comforts, sometimes it's like ends up being the most transformative, amazing thing because you you remember what it is like to think clearly for your brain to sort of turn back on, um, what it feels like to respect yourself again. Um, what it feels like to wake up in the morning and not be tired.
0: Mm, Uh, mm -hmm. you know, like
1: all of those things, they yield a lot. They yield a lot of transformation physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, you know, the whole nine yards. So yeah, if you don't, if you feel like you don't love yourself, it might be time to just put some new, uh, habits into play
0: <laughs> yeah well i what happened for me is i uh i met only at the very beginning of this journey i'm not nearly i mean, i'm as you know i'm wanting to learn as much as i can from you on this because i i i see it in myself but what happened for me is i stopped eating except for once a day right uh, and okay. then i would have berries and stuff and my life transformed and i was like what is this weight is dropping off I'm sleeping better, I, like you said, mm. waking up. And, and I realized I was just filling my body with crap, right? I would go to yeah. McDonald's and get two, you know, double cheese. I wasn't like you. I didn't, I didn't go the vegan route. I went like the opposite route, right? I would just eat crap all the time and had no idea that I was doing it and didn't even really consciously become aware of it until I started following you and be like, oh, I've just been ignoring this whole area of my life, right? Like not even thinking about it.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like I I forget sometimes because obviously I'm so entangled in my industry and so my like my viewpoint is kind of my bubble, so I I forget how disconnected most people are from the things that they do and the foods that they eat and their own bodies. So sometimes I'll catch myself being like, well, of course, nobody, nobody eats, like no one eats Cheetos anymore. But then I'm like, oh no, <laughs> actually do. like <laughs> everyone eats Cheetos. I don't.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. So it, it's, it, you have to constantly remind yourself because yeah, especially with social media now. Like you really get tunnel vision because you you see only what you're you see what you have created, you curated for yourself or what Instagram has curated for you based on sort of your habits. So you forget what the actual world looks like out there, other than what, you know, your own little um, you know, social media bubble yeah. has kind yeah. of laid out for you in front of you.
0: <laughs> well, it's like it's like you said, it's like my my brother-in-law has this philosophy, he calls it he's says, stay uncomfortable, right? If you're comfortable, then you're in a position of weakness because you're not growing. Mm. Uh, and mm-hmm. I loved what you said. Well, basically, it got to the point where you were so uncomfortable that you had to change, right? Yeah. <laughs> but that uh, it's like yeah. you said. I love what you said about suffering, right? Because I completely agree. I find it hard to relate to people who haven't suffered. Not that I've suffered more than others, and that just like you said, we've we've all fate It's we all are on our own journey, but suffering can actually be the best thing that ever happened to you.
1: Yeah, I I would agree. I've always said this. Um, you know, whenever I've dealt with a major trauma or loss uh, in my life, the following, you know, like sort of six months to a year post incident, have always felt like the best six to twelve months ever. Like anytime I can think of where I've had a major, major loss or a major gut-wrenching experience or, you know, like anything that kind of fits that bill, I'm like, wow, like life is amazing. Afterwards, you're <laughs> yeah, like, oh, you're, yeah. you you opened up survived. your mind. I survived.
0: I'm still here. Yeah, you're like, man,
1: <laughs> I'm so strong or I'm so like – that was incredible. I learned so much. Or like you have this, like these like fresh eyes to the world and you're like, wow, I can apply everything I learned from that situation like that. I'll never, I'll never experience that in the same way ever again. If I, if I choose to go forwards that way, you know, and
0: and to learn from it, like you said, look at all I've learned, right? Yeah. 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 It's incredible. Oh, it's, Um, it's that's what humans do. That, Like you said, that's what's extraordinary is we're unlike any other creature in that not only when we, do we learn not to make mistakes, but we can go back in time, look at the mistake, and learn something from it. Mm-hmm. And right? you can
1: do it over and over and over yeah, again. You, yeah,
0: can think, yeah. you know, I,
1: I've many times I've thought about something that's happened a decade ago that I hadn't thought about in a long time. And I'm like, oh, like I hadn't thought about it in that way before. That's pretty amazing. Like. That's a new piece of information that I can apply that that thing that maybe happened, like, like I said, 10 years ago can still be um, a great tool for learning and a great tool for evolution.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, If you're not, uh, there's a great line, you know, if you're not growing, you're dying. Right. And I think (laughs) you don't have to be growing, you know, more youthful. You don't have to be, in fact, this is the best. I I tell people this all the time. I'm like, our culture worships youth, worships it. Right. It it does. And I'm like, my 30s have been so infinitely better in every possible rubric, right? I'm more financially secure. I love myself more. You know, I'm treating myself better like than my 20s, just empirically. And I and I'm like I wish people would say that more. Hey, life can get even better. It's not over when you like reach some arbitrary number. Like life is beautiful. And and I think it's by going through suffering that you come to appreciate that.
1: Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up about the worshiping youth thing, because I think one element of our sort of decline as a society that has got us to this point is in fact the worshiping of youth, because we forget the importance of our elders. Um, And that doesn't necessarily have to mean like, the 90-year-old down the street. It could be the 45-year-old, the 60-year-old, the 75-year-old. Like, it doesn't have to be, again, like, it's not an arbitrary age of maturity. It's anyone that has walked a few days ahead of us in this life, (laughs) right? And, um, And both, again, like, spiritually and emotionally, but also physically, I think that we really need to change our mindset on what is normal um like beauty standards for example i like, you know this is really away from everything else that we've kind of been talking about but in it's sort of also integrated in the whole conversation as well because you know again like back to sort of social media and health like we always sort of pair optimal health with like youthful skin and a skinny or strong looking body yeah, uh, yeah. that, you know, doesn't necessarily have like cellulite or stretch marks or freckles or I don't know, like any of these things that- I know. That, it, it's um, like
0: imperfection. It's this, this is social media age. Like we have now enc- encountered something that's never happened in all of human history. Never happened.
1: Yeah. Pre-teen
0: yeah. suicide. Never happened. Yes. Never.
1: It's awful.
0: It's it's horrible. It's, it it's disgusting horrible. what we're doing to our children. Yes. Like it's disgusting. And- and what I love is I get this sense, and I, I don't know what's happening, but I even kind of said it in my uh, episode with Aaron. I do think there's some kind of, whether we call it spiritual awakening or enlightenment, there's something happening. Because people are people like yourself and I are beginning to look at the world and we're like, we're being lied to. Just pure lies for people to make money. Like what what you've discovered about nutrition is basically the food – industrial complex is printing money off poisoning us.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I, (laughs) I'm always inclined to like, I don't know why I don't, I kind of want to explore this in myself because I'm always inclined to sort of like caveat that with saying like I don't actually think it's like a conspiracy. Like I don't think someone's like masterminding this entire thing. Look, they're like, oh yeah, let's like make the population sick and weak and we can control (laughs) (laughs) the (laughs) like yeah (laughs) no I don't actually think that's happening because um you know if you actually go onto the government of Canada's website and you go to the new and improved Canadian Food Guide, and you actually read the policy or like read the recommendations of the Canada Food Guide, they're very much in line with everything that I have said. Right, um, which right. I think people are really shocked by. They're like, oh, but I thought the government had it all wrong. I'm like, well, you're you perceived that based on a meme you read, maybe, or right. <laughs> something. Yeah, yeah like, you haven't but thought but this through there, very there's well. the, the, the government does not own Coca-Cola. They might be heavily influenced or funded in certain areas by these corporations, but like the government wants the population to be relatively healthy because it is a better for them. It's less tax dollars going to yeah. uh, healthcare yeah. and more to, um, you know, where, wherever else that they allotted to all of the other areas in which we need to spend tax dollars, but like they advise against eating processed and refined foods. They recommend understanding how to read nutrition labels. They They actually have an entire write-up on the Government of Canada's website about how to avoid being misled by corporations, influencers, advertising. They even recommend turning off your social media getting a subscription to um entertainment like television and stuff like that that doesn't include commercials yeah, like this is the yeah. government of Canada that actually is in, in yeah. telling people to do these things but nobody first of all reads the government of Canada's no,
0: website no 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 nobody <laughs> like
1: nobody even the and people who write really, it don't read it again <laughs> that's true too yeah. um and and i think there's like this kind of like overall Hate on for uh, um, policy people right now because because mm-hmm. they're locking feels us like in our homes. <laughs> yeah, and it's not always that simple. No, I, mean, I know I they know. are locking us in our homes, and I'm not going to talk about that on this episode. I don't <laughs> no, really no. want to go down that path. Exactly. But I just think it's important to like make sure that it doesn't feel like a conspiracy because it's not that they're, like I said, it's not that there's one person. There's not like an overlord that's controlling no, this. It's, it's, it's that, about money. It's, it's just dollars. Is at the end of the day, it's businesses, corporations, advertising, influencers, social media, the algorithms. And then humans are just like really easy to manipulate because that's how we that we were designed for that because yeah. it was a survival tactic for a long time. Like, we, we are, our brains work like an algorithm. Like you show us, and you show us a piece of information and then our brain is going to constantly try to find anything that proves for that piece of information to be accurate. So yes, yes. It does whatever, whatever was imprinted, we're going to look for that. So yeah. if it was imprinted <laughs> improperly in the first round, we're going to look for that, even though it's incorrect. So, you know, it's just about sort of relearning. It's about being awake and understanding where we're being duped by companies and industry versus the people and the, yeah, the people that have a, our best interests in, at that mind.
0: I think about like seatbelts, right? The auto industry fought seatbelts for 20 years. There was, mm. there was, the facts were clear. Seatbelts saved lives. There was no question. Mm-hmm. But they didn't want to do it because it cost more in manufacturing right? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I don't think that necessarily makes the auto industry evil. It's just, no. there comes a moment where, unless you, cha- like, that's what government's for, right? <laughs> Literally to say, hey, this is, I don't care whether it costs you money. This is for people, right? This is, yeah, to protect this is for people. the
1: people. Yeah. The greater good. Yeah.
0: It's like you said, if like, And I I encourage everyone. uh, We got to get on another episode here soon, but I encourage everyone to visit uh, your Instagram, but not just your Instagram, your website. Um, Send uh, Kate an email. She's lovely to talk to. Always ready to. I I even ask her questions, and I'm not even paying her as my nutritionist yet, and she'll be like, "Oh yeah, this is what (laughs) I think of that, right?" And I. But but what I wanted to say is. I don't think it's about money for people who truly believe in things, right? I don't think it's about the money for you. Sure, it's nice to get paid and like it's good to make money and, and everyone should pay for the service that you're providing because it's so valuable. But at the end of the day, that's the difference. It isn't about getting a bigger paycheck. You went through suffering, your life was changed, and you just want to share the good news with other people.
1: Yeah, I'm going to make sure that it's clear that I definitely still have a mortgage. Yes, yes, yes. No, no, absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. Right? But like… Yes, but I definitely – I do do this because it's my – I feel purposeful. I feel fulfilled. I know that there is a lot of work to be done. I think that if everyone felt really good and could control and get a – take control of their health, that we would be less driven by consumer crap and a more responsible and, uh, life would just be better all around. And, um, and it would it would be less about making money because everyone would be happy and happy is where it's at.
0: Yeah. Oh, happy is definitely where it's at. Thank you so much for coming on. I love what you're doing. I admire it, to be honest. I'm I'm loving following it, awesome. and I think Thank it's going to help transform my life. So, thanks for joining us, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking again soon.
1: I would love that. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Canadian Story. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at That's the Cad Story. That's the C A D Story. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Let's work together to remind Canadians how great their country is.